2: Trust God and live for His glory, His work goes on. When we at the end of the day determine to move on for His glory, His work is accomplished, His kingdom is expanded, and His church is strengthened. Welcome to The Barnabas
1: Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
2: The godly people gather together, people who have been indwelt by His Holy Spirit. It's hard to think that if we come together seeking to resolve something, we can't resolve it. Look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, surprising absolutely no one that was present. Because Peter is the guy that always had something to say, right? By the way, here he gets it right. What I'm about to read is Peter explaining how the gospel was offered to the Gentiles, not just to the Jewish people. That they didn't have to be circumcised. That they didn't have to follow the laws of Moses. But interesting, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to confront Peter because he didn't always get it right. Peter was a little two-faced. Again, that should not surprise us because we've watched him change based on who he's around before. But Paul deals with this because at some points Peter would be around these Jewish Pharisaical people and he would act like their way of thinking was okay. But here he says... Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now is it just me or is that a little prideful? (laughs) He's saying, hey guys, just want to remind you, God chose me to uh, tell the gospel to all the Gentiles. He's describing what we've read in Acts about how he shared with Cornelius and Cornelius became that first Gentile from not the Jews but from the Gentiles to receive the gospel. And then he says, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by what? So what he's saying is, the way the Gentiles came to a relationship with God was by, say it again, faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? This is where the message paraphrased it. Why are you trying to out-God God? God has a way of doing this. He established it. It was by faith. Why are you putting him to the test? Placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to hear, but we believe that we will be saved through the what? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as they will. So simple right here. We have Peter saying what Paul would tell us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You're saved by faith through grace. And in this moment, What the church begins to do is what the church has had to do throughout her history. It's standing firmly against one of its biggest enemies, legalism. Which would add to your salvation that idea that you've got to do something. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. That that is what makes me in right relationship with God. Paul would put it this way in Romans eleven six. 6. Basically, he's saying, you just got to decide what you're going to trust in. Is it going to be grace or works? If it's grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You can't have it both ways. And, and some of you who actively come into places like this to worship, I, I just need you to understand it. I know it's hard, but you've never truly trusted in the grace of God. You're still thinking it's up to you. You're still thinking it's based on your works. And I get it. Everything we're taught from, from when we began to hear, that's what we're taught. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. If it's going to happen, I've got to do it. I've got to make it happen. And that may be true in a lot of areas of life, but it's not true in your faith. The right people won out on that day. But this continued to be a battle. In fact, those Jewish pharisaical leaders, they kind of won out among the Jews. You know how I know? Look around the world today. The Jewish messianic population is very small. So the gospel went first to the Jews. But throughout history, most of the Jews have rejected the gospel. So it then went to the Gentiles. What did the Gentiles become? Well, the first church, as described in history really eventually formulated into what we know as the Roman Catholic Church. And what began to be the battle in the Roman Catholic Church? Legalism. Works. If you do this, if you follow these rules, if you check off these boxes, you'll be saved. Hundreds of years after this, that's what led to the Protestant Reformation. And in the Protestant Reformation, we have what is called the five solas. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. sola Christus, Christ alone. Sola de la gloria, to the glory of God alone. So the... uh, Peter was saying what we would later look to in the Protestant Reformation, that, hey, no, 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 it's not all these other things. We look back to the Scriptures, and we see that our hope is only in Jesus and our faith in Him as a result of God's grace. And that's still true today. So what happened after Peter said this? Look at verse 12. And the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul As they related what signs and wonders God had done to them among the Gentiles. So after Peter, you get kind of the second round. Peter tags and Barnabas and Paul stand up. And they begin to talk about their missionary journey and how God had worked and how God had saved Jews and how God had saved Gentiles. And he was saving them even though they weren't circumcised. And the amazing miracle of salvation it's in that setting that we see another principle healthy discussion leads to godly decisions remember we started with division and and then we said when there's division there needs to be some discussion but when you have godly discussion it can lead you to a point where you make decisions that honor jesus And so that's what began to happen. In verse 13, it says, after Paul and Barnabas finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Now, who is this James? This is James who was called James the Just. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is James who pastored the Jerusalem church. James that history would refer to as camel knees because James prayed so much that his knees had these gnarly calluses on them from being on his knees. And in this passage, we kind of see the implication that James is the leader among the bunch. Some of you are old enough to remember the E.F. Hutton commercials. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. And when James spoke, it changed the outcome. Which, by the way, I think also speaks to the reality of what was going on in history. If you ask the Roman Catholic Church, who was the leader of this early church? They would say it was Peter because they would say he was the first pope. I think scripturally you look and you realize James was the leader of the early church. What did James say? Well, he says Simon, that's him speaking to Peter because he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He calls him by his Jewish names. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. So what does James do? He quotes scripture. What is he quoting? The book of Amos. He says, after this I'll return, I'll rebuild the tent of David that is falling, I'll rebuild its ruins, and I'll restore it. What is he referring to? That David was that royal lineage, and if there's going to be a savior, it's got to come from the lineage of David to restore and redeem the people. Did that happen? Yes. What's that king's name? All right, class. We're going to review this once more. If I ask you an easy question in church and you don't know the answer, what's the answer? It's Jesus. All right. Who do you think Amos is referring to that would be from the lineage of David to restore the kingdom? Jesus. And so James is saying, hey, what Amos prophesied happened. James turned them to the scriptures. And that's a lesson for us. Anytime we have a spiritual disagreement, what's the first thing we should do? Turn to the scriptures. So why don't you try this this week? Close your mouth and open your Bible. See what God would speak into the situation So after saying this, James in verse 19 says, therefore, my judgment, again, he's a position and person of authority, so he makes a judgment. My judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, let's not burden them. We're not going to say, all right, guys, I know this is going to be painful, but it's time for your circumcision line. Line up. No, no, don't do it. We're not going to burden them, but we should write to them. Abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from what's been strangled, and from blood. Well, what was going on there? Well, they're making two pronouncements. One is doctrinal, one is practical. And this is a great example for us for conflict resolution. From a doctrinal standpoint, you've got to say, hey, there's a clear right and there's clear wrong. So from a doctrinal standpoint, he's saying, hey, make no mistake, they're not burdened in their faith. By following these laws of Moses. However, from a practical standpoint, they need to understand there's some things that are probably not wise to do. And Paul would take this teaching from James from the Jerusalem Council, and he would repeat it over and over again throughout his writings in the New Testament, reminding us that our liberty in Christ does not give us license to sin, that we have to be wise. Man, what a great model here in Acts 15. What a great testimony, how cooler heads prevailed, teaching us that you can disagree without being disagreeable. And so what did they do? They sent Paul and Barnabas back to their home church, the one that had sent them out, with a letter, a letter of encouragement. And so we see this final principle, godly decisions result in the development of disciples. When you don't run from conflict, when you say, hey, we can figure this out, you sit down and discuss it, you open God's word, you begin to make decisions, then you're able to get back and focus on the things God wants you to focus on. Look at verse 30. When they were sent out, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Look at verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And what a great message here. When a church makes a decision to keep the main thing, the main thing, it positions itself to accomplish the main thing. If a church gets distracted and divided over the color of the carpet or or the sound or the music or what we wear, if we get away from the main things, we won't accomplish the mission and the vision that God set out for us. But if we keep the main thing, the main thing, wow, we'll accomplish the main thing. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And then at the end of this perfectly good chapter, we have a twist. Plot twist! These are some of the words in scriptures that you are prone to think God, really? Why why did you put that there? Did did we need to know this? Do you know what happens at the end of 15? After this beautiful, beautiful situation that allows for a perfectly good sermon to be spoken. Resolving conflict. Do you know what happens at the end of chapter 15? More conflict. Further disagreement. You're not going to believe that. Look at verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Barnabas, the one who thought everybody deserved a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. Two thousand chance, Barnabas, who would gruffly begin every morning singing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful... Barnabas, the encourager, says, Hey, I've got a great idea. Remember, Mark? Let's get him and take him with us on this second missionary journey. What do you think Paul has to say about that? But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work and there arose a sharp disagreement. So Paul is saying, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Do you remember Mark? He deserted me just when I needed him most. He went back home crying to mama. When the going got tough, he got going. Now we don't know why Mark left. Remember that. We knew that there were already threats for their lives. So maybe Mark had a good reason for leaving, but whatever, this was a dividing line between the dynamic duo, between Barnabas and Paul, these first missionaries of the church. So Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers with the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strength, the churches. God, why did you give us these verses? All of the Bible is written at the hands of men, but inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Why did we, why were we given these verses? I think it's to remind us of these truths about conflict. Number one, expect conflict, it's a reality. I know you don't like it. I don't like it. but It's part of life. We're different. I say tomato. You say tomato. I like chocolate. You prefer vanilla. I can't wait for strawberry season and some strawberry shortcake, and you tell me that you're partial to blueberries. We're different. And those differences, they're going to create conflicts in our life. Expect conflict. Maybe God gave us the end of this chapter to remind us that even godly people will continue to disagree. So what do you do? You have to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. You can't be paralyzed by conflict. Some decisions are going to have to be made. You're going to have to figure out how to move forward. And I'm I'm so thankful for the model we've seen in Acts chapter 15 that there are things you can do to deal with conflict like seek wise counsel. Recognize that you don't have to figure this out on your own. Seek wise, Did I say wise counsel? Don't just go complain to the first person you see. Seek out wise, godly counsel. That's what happened in Acts 15. They went to the elders, to the spiritual leaders to say, how are we going to resolve this? And then as you do that, understand the importance of listening to the other side. I love verse 12. Verse 12 says that they fell silent and they listened. Now, she's not in the room, but Occasionally, my wife and I, even after 26 years of marriage, we have what is described here with Paul and Barnabas, sharp disagreements. I'm sure no other married couples have those. But if we're in one of those moments of sharp disagreement, here's what I'm too often guilty of. Kimberly will be telling me something and I will be thinking, I know what I'm going to say in response. I'm not even listening to her. I'm preparing my rebuttal. And I wonder how many times we have that mentality in any of our conversation, communication. We're not listening. And when we fail to do so, we'll not resolve conflict. And then I want to look to the Bible for help. The truth is, if we believe what Scripture teaches, God has already given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So shut your mouth. Open your Bible. Next thing, I'm not sure that Paul understood in this moment, but the whole counsel of Scripture lets us know that he got it. And this is important in the midst of conflict. Control your anger. In this moment, we don't have the details, but the fact that they split tells us (laughs) that Paul and Barnabas had a knockdown drag out. I'm kind of thinking their anger may have been on full display in this setting. But somewhere down the road, we recognize that Paul understood this. It may be because later he tells us, hey, go get Mark. He's of great value to me. Or it may be because in writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because when you do, you give the devil a foothold into your life. And, and some of you, you've let conflict get the best of you and you've let that seed of bitterness go grow within you and that other person that you've had conflict with, they're going on with their, their lives and you're just letting it eat you up. Stop it. But finally, determine to move forward for the glory of God. Why did God give us the end of Acts 15? probably those last three words in English. Strengthening the churches. He wanted us to see that in the midst of the reality of conflict, when we trust God and live for his glory, his work goes on. When we make it about ourselves, when we try to out-God God, when we get in the way, we can hamper and hinder his work. But when we when we at the end of the day determine to move on for his glory his work is accomplished, his kingdom is expanded and his church is strengthened so how do I respond to a message like this here's what I want you to do press the pause button the pause button on your life and ask this simple question where in my life Am I guilty of trying to out God, God? It's one thing to acknowledge there is a God and I'm not God. It's another thing to recognize that means I can't pick up the reins and pretend to be him. I've got to yield control. And specifically, are there relationships in your life where you're trying to out God, God? If there are, I've got two words for you. Stop it. (laughs) It's not going to work. It never does. Just stop it. Secondly, I want you to think about that question that started this whole process. What must a person do to be saved? Have you understood and applied that question and that answer correctly in your life? When you think about your forever, if you were standing before God and he said to you, hey, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would you base your answer solely on the grace and the goodness of God demonstrated through the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary? Would you say, because I've trusted you in faith and I've received your forgiveness? Or would you be like most people around the world? saying, well, I've tried to do my best. I think the good outweighs the bad. I'm an ethical and relatively moral person. God, I think it's the right thing to do just to let me in. If your answer is anything like that you don't need to be better you need to be
1: saved you've been listening to the barnabas effect with pastor paul purvis the barnabas effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement